Welcome to What Compassion Accomplishes, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about domestic abuse and sexual assault. The topics discussed in this podcast, including survivor stories, supportive services, and domestic abuse or sexual violence, can be difficult, and we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic, dating, or sexual violence, please call the WCA's 24-hour hotline at 208-343-7025 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Hi, this is Corey Michaels, and welcome once again to What compassion accomplishes and this week i'm so excited once again to have chris davis communication manager with the wca uh in along with dr salazar program director ladies thank you once again for being here and and being on the podcast thank you for inviting us it's a great opportunity to have these important conversations it is and this is one that's a conversation that a year ago that we never thought we would need to have. Uh, but there's been a lot of that as our world changed over, you know, the last year plus. And that was the effect of the pandemic, not just financially on our world, uh, not just in all the ways that we see and think about, but the ways like abuse, because uh, in the ways of for uh, um, a mom for kids, a lot of times going to school for the kids, that was their, that was their break. That was their way to get away from whatever the situation for the mom, whether it was going to work or when, uh, the spouse went to work, whatever the dynamic was, that was the break at least. And all of a sudden these stay at home orders and, there wasn't that break. And so I would have to assume that the numbers sadly went up a lot. Well, the numbers went up too. And I think we'll, we're going to open this up a lot because and turn it over to Dr. Salazar because not only did she see what we saw at the WCA, but she also has an extensive experience with mental health um, services. But um, so you're losing access to people who can help you mm-hmm. and observe what's going on, but you lose access to support services. So support networks and just people to notice if something's going on or or for you to talk to. So you're losing, maybe you're losing access to going to work, but you're not going to church. You're not going to the gym or even to the grocery store or to the library or so that's twofold. Um, Your, your spouse, your partner may not be going to work, but even for, if you're, you're an elder person and you're living at home, with your longer, younger children or family members and you're not going to, you know, when they when they canceled all non-essential health procedures, so you may not be going in for a checkup or a B, vitamin B shot or physical therapy or there, there are so many situations across the board where touch points for receiving support or for somebody to notice yeah. if something was happening or I think if the stress is starting to percolate, though, those people who are living essentially in pressure cookers, um, and that over the course of how many months now, 14, 15, even just here where we are in Idaho, but across the globe where things started to really rise um, earlier than that. And now, so we're in April and 
it is in the red zone in India now. I mean, they're rushing, I think, is it I hear, um, or isn't it still really bad? I don't know if it really is still really bad, but I, I think there are still places in around the world in Africa and India where people are, are still living in very dangerous um, situations because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so we know people are still, still to this day right now in those situations. So, well, and Dr. Salazar, this is something that during that time and, and something Chris just said that, uh, that struck me is for those that maybe there hadn't been abuse yet, but the pressure cooker that, uh, Chris just mentioned where someone maybe is right on that kind of edge of abuse. And I would have to think that then the situation, the stress, the, uh, the stay at home orders, all of those things, loss of jobs, uh, alcoholism, all of that had to really just explode in a lot of new cases. Well, I think one of the questions that has come up early on is trying to figure out, did the pandemic actually is causing this? And I think um, in the earlier research, what we've been finding is that not necessarily that the pandemic is a cause, um, because a pandemic does not equivalent with an abuser. Instead, right. I think one of the things that we've been seeing is that it just exasperates some of those things that are happening in the homes. Um, and I think what was also alarming is that early on, um, there was some appropriate discussions about how do we manage this in regards to get hand sanitizers, get cleaning supplies, all of these things. And the social aspect of that and the mental health aspect was completely missed. And I think when I think about your question, that's really what was happening. The focus and energy was so much so in that area, which we were almost blindsided by these other dynamics that were happening in the homes. Um, And yes, it absolutely added because there's an extended stress level. Um, Some people very appropriately responded, um, but unfortunately we saw many people, um, they went to what their automatics were and unfortunately um, resulted in much more domestic abuse in the homes. And I, I want to make a comment too, Corey, because I think you brought up a really, really important point that isn't, it's, I think it's outside of the question about the pandemic, which is about substance abuse and substances and domestic violence. And we hear that a lot because I do a lot of public speaking and a public um, interaction, not during the pandemic. I've missed that. But that's a big part of my job is to talk to people about it and educate. And one of the things that I say a lot is that Domestic violence is not caused by alcohol. It is not caused by drugs. Um, Getting drunk doesn't make you abuse people. Being high doesn't make you abuse people. Yes, it can cause situations. You can do stupid things that you're really embarrassed for, and you you need to, you know, be accountable for that and make apologies. And you're not always going to be forgiven. You know, you're not. And you may be legally responsible for really bad choices you make, but they don't make you an abusive person. You have those tendencies and you make choices. It's abuse is about power control. Um, Sexually assaulting something is about um, doing something that you choose to do without the consent of someone else. So you did not obtain consent. Um, And yeah, you know, it gets a gray area and that's a larger discussion when um, you're both under the influence and that's a different podcast, which we hope we can direct you to. Um, But 
substance substances can, and, and again, this is a much bigger conversation, they can exacerbate situations. And during the pandemic, they certainly have. But they don't cause someone to be an abuser. Mm-hmm. And that's very commonly a misnomer and a myth that people make use as an excuse. Well, my uh, p- father, partner, son, mother, whatever, is a drunk, and that's what made them an abuser. And um, that's something we work really hard to um, correct that myth. Um, and, and, you know, I'll turn it back to Dr. Salazar because I'm sure um, she has a lot more information on that. Well, and I, but I, I think the, Dr. Salazar, um, to Chris's point there, when, you know, the old saying, you'd, when someone goes, I was just drunk, I didn't mean to say that. And you go, no, you, you meant it. It just sober, you could suppress that desire to say it. And all it did was just, you know, loosen up your inhibitions, but you really did mean it. So the same type of thing, I would, you know, abuse, any of those things that are going to come out when, when a person is drunk, they're all in there. They're bubbling under the surface. Maybe that was just the way that it allowed it to come out. Um. I think for me that that's definitely the inhibitions is a component of that, that they do um, decrease. Um, One of the things that we also saw within the pandemic is that all of those, when it comes to mental health, substance abuse, um, and even other chronic illnesses uh, with the pandemic, it naturally created this kind of exasperated and um, issues among that. And, one of the things as we're reflecting back, and I think we're learning now about what happened and what kinds of things do we need to do different from that, um, what we found is that what was really happening at the core was these social determinants. So social determinants really are what speak into what helps us be healthy. And one of the things we also discovered is that um, individuals that maybe had like let's say, for example, we're talking about substance abuse, um, maybe they had work um, that they could go to. And because of their jobs, their substance abuse was not that I'm okay, in it, but it was less than because they were act- actually engaged in work. Um, but what happened with the pandemic? People were pulled from their jobs. So then what are you naturally going to see? Again, that's one of the social determinants. Job loss was a significant thing early on. And some people are still struggling. I know some things are opening up. The reality is those factors are still in there. And what we know about um, substance abuse, chronic illness, mental illness, is that things get worse and worse, and it's hard to go back. Um, And I think that's really what we're going to be seeing long term. So this is not going to be, let's open the doors and things are better. There's really going to be some significant things that are going to prolong. Um, I would say, I think in some of the literature that we've been reading and discovering, best guesses is around two to three years after we open up, we're still going to be recovering. So, and we're not there yet even. No, we're barely scratching the surface at this point. And I've seen it even just with with friends of mine um, where they lost the jo- uh, job due to COVID, um, lost their home, lost their 401ks, lost, you know, lost so much in just this short amount of time. And 
then just all of a sudden, even after the stay-at-home order was over, were just sitting in their home in the dark. And it, it had sucked all the life out of them. And that is, uh, that's, been, that's been tough to see. And I think for me, with uh, one, one, of my, one of my best friends in particular, um, that I started going over there, you know, every day, even, even when the, you know, we were in deeper in the pandemic and I'd stand on the porch while he was inside and, you know, we'd talk for half an hour through the screen door, you know, and, um, but remember to do that because people that are, that do have anxiety already, that have depression, that have mental illness, that or maybe a friend that you had already been suspecting that there was abuse, just stop by every once in a while, you know, and I, and I still now I'll stop by almost every day, call every day. I, I do, but I try and stop by at least every day for a little while, sometimes longer just to have the connection. And I can also see how he's looking that day. Um, so just rem- remember that when, uh, if you have the friends that you're concerned about, whether it's depression, mental health, abuse, uh, that you're going by and you're just reach out, check on them because they might not have it in them anymore to reach out themselves. I think that's a really great point there. And with any of those things that I think studies tell us that quite often there are co-occurring things. So if you've got depression, you do may, you know, everybody's, everybody, you, all the headlines are telling us, right, we're all drinking a lot more, we're exercising less, we're eating more, we're binge-watching shows. Um, I can tick off a couple of boxes there. I've seen everything that I want to watch on Netflix, and then I switch back to Hulu, <laughs> and then I go to Amazon Prime. And this is commonly, you know, before any meeting, like, what are you watching? What are you, and I'll look at you across the table here, because we just had that conversation. What shows, oh, that's a good show, Kimmy, I'm going to make a note here, yeah. because um, that is next, what we're doing. And we couldn't go to the gym, and we couldn't do... And, you know, then I get tired of doing things at home on my own. I'm a social person. And we live in a place where we have four great seasons. But several of those seasons are dark and rainy and cold. And so it's hard to get outside. And when you get outside, you can't be close to people. and You're trying to be safe. And so um, that impacts it as well. So we know that a lot of times things are co-occurring. And so when you can't be close to people and you're scared of germs and you don't know who's safe or if you're... Mm-hmm you're not sure what to say. And in the world we live in where we know that's pretty common that people who are experiencing any kind of unhealthy dynamic, any kind of abuse, any kind of mental health crisis or any kind of mental health uncertainty, the last thing they want is for anybody to know about it. Right. Um, If they're having financial insecurities, um, especially in this country, that's the last thing they're going to want to share with anyone. So we know that a lot of our neighbors and our friends and our family members are experiencing, they can tick off those boxes too. You know, they may be doing these things to cope, but they're also experiencing a lot of those things. I know a lot of people I care about are experiencing those. I started trying to reach out, pulling together different groups of people. What are we going to do? How are we going to take care of one another? As relationships have crumbled, as people have gotten sick, as I'm watching on Facebook and just starting to see people's loved ones getting sick and going to the hospital and dying or whatever causes of marriages falling apart of kids trying to graduate school and going, you know, all these 
amazing life things and and hurtful life things and happening and we're and now we're look, we're doing it alone through glass mm-hmm. but then what we are seeing at the WCA and what our counterparts even just here in our area are seeing across the board we're reporting higher rates because that's that's because people are at home and the occurrences the lethality the fear the danger i think has become point that people are having to reach out and i think I want to circle back to something you said, Dr. Salzer. It's not that the amount of domestic abuse is increasing. It's the number of people who are saying, I can't take this anymore. I can't handle it. Or um, I'm scared that I'm going to die. You know, I'm scared that, that, that mm-hmm. we can't, we're not going to survive this anymore because they're stuck at home. That's what my suspicion is. I don't know about you. So I don't think it's more. I think it's, there's just nothing else to distract it. There's no escape. They can't leave. Either the abuser or the person who it's, is, is receiving that abuse or the kids, they can't leave. There's nowhere to go. I hope if you're listening to this podcast and you think about somebody, if this sparks anything in your mind that makes you think about a neighbor, a friend, someone you know or you haven't heard from in a while or just changes in behavior for anybody, that, that just make you think something might be going on or just makes you think about an old friend right. that you miss or you'd like to reconnect with. That's, that's the silver lining in, the, in all of this that, that makes us maybe value relationships and think about one another. So hopefully you can reconnect and find deeper meaning. But also, if, you, you know, if you're concerned about somebody, that is what you can do. And everybody, everybody listening to this, everybody you talk to about this, if you are hearing this, you can make a difference and you can change the culture and the community around you just by having a conversation, reaching out, go stand on the porch and have that conversation, send a text and keep sending it, make a phone call actually. And if somebody doesn't pick up, keep calling. Yeah. And if you can, if you're close enough with them to be able to do like a FaceTime call or something like that so that you can actually see their eyes because uh, it's a lot easier to, to fake your voice than it is to fake, you know, your face. And, and I don't mean just signs of abuse as far as bruising, but you can see in someone's eyes if they're defeated, if the life, their life light is just kind of sucked out. You can see all of those, those things and put that together with the voice. If you can, like Chris was saying, a lot of times it's hard just to get them to, to pick up, let alone get them to do that. But if you can, do it. Check, check on them. And I know it's tough because all of I have my days where I get in my, my dark moments, and my life is great. But, you know, when with all the negative news, even as we're coming, starting to come out of the, the pandemic – there's still times where it's tough to keep up the positive. It's overwhelming. Attitude. So it's then tough to think about reaching out to someone else. And and I, I've realized, I think that is the biggest thing that I've realized a year plus in is forcing ourselves to keep connected with the people we love. And I realized how many people I adore that I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen their faces in, in over a year. Some of them I hadn't talked to in that time. And that's, that's sad because right now the one thing we still do have 
is each other. I miss seeing, I miss seeing people's faces. I miss yes. hugs. I miss giving people hugs so badly. Oh, absolutely. I'm a hugger. I, I'm a hugger uh, so that's been brutal. Yes, yeah. Um, but so that's the, that's the biggest thing is you will help yourself by, by getting yourself up and checking on those people you love. Trust me, it's going to help you in the process too. And you know, we'll, we can, we can make it through this, but it is going to take all of us together. Absolutely. And I think when I think about that, um, you're so correct, Corey. I think it's twofold. Uh, For the individual that's reaching out to the other person, it can be just as meaningful to Mm -hmm. them as it is going to be for that person receiving that hello, that gesture. And uh, one of the things that we've been seeing within the WCA is, again, I think Chris talked about, yes, a huge number of calls coming in. And sometimes individuals just want to have that conversation. Um, So for all of you that are out there, there's opportunity for you to grow and also connect, but then also to make meaningful impact. Um, I think oftentimes we forget and it feels like this huge thing that we can't do anything and we can. Now, Dr. Salazar, you're, if, if someone, if someone said that, uh, Hey, I tried to reach out to this friend of mine, I'm concerned, but I called and they just said, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. Life's good and basically cut it real short and hung up, but you still know, no, things aren't right. How do I do that now? They just already told me they're, they're fine. Uh, Not that they blew me off, but you know, or they didn't answer the phone and I called a couple of times and left messages. What's the next step? Do I keep calling? Um, So I think what's really important is that um, for both of you, when you're reaching out, I think it's a great benefit to that individual. But if you're concerned about somebody else, um, put it on you. Just this is important for me. I feel like I need to connect with you, too. So not just about them, um, because the idea is how do we open that door? That's really what you're trying to do. Open that door for that other person and what it might look like. It might look a little bit different. Sometimes it might look like a phone call. Um, Other times it might look like a gentle note. I think many people have um, thought about creative ways to connect, um, including snail mail. I I think we forget that, um, especially when people are writing that note and what that might mean and how that can open in the door, um, remembering that even when you think the person is not hearing you, um, I'm going to be honest, for me, I've seen it both in the work that I've been doing is people are listening, listening, even when you do not think they're listening. So uh, what you say does matter and you can make a difference. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I uh, will tell you, I've gotten a few cards in the mail, like mailed it to me with a stamp and uh that is, that's been a really fun thing to get actually in my mailbox. And that's new. I do actually I have a friend from high school who we send each other birthday cards every single year and have since we moved away from living right next to each other. And that's always really fun every year. And people think that's the weirdest thing in the world, but we do it every single year and going on. I won't, I won't publicly say how old I am, but I've gotten <laughs> a lot of cards 
And that's a fun thing. But now getting more cards and we've started to, and these other high school friends of mine, now yeah. we've kind of picked it up a little bit, some of them. And that's kind of a fun thing with it, fun colored cards and stickers. And I would suggest you do that. Just surprise somebody. Well, even this, my middle daughter, a lot of times she will hand write me a, a note or a letter, take a picture of it. And she'll text me the picture of her handwritten letter so that... <laughs> I knew Aww. she took the time to write. I got to see her handwriting. I know that's her um, to send me a note just to say hi or mm-hmm. I love you, thinking of you or, or something like that. And you know what? It does. It makes my day. She could have said the exact same thing in a regular text. And I, I still been like, oh, I get to hear from my baby. But there's something that takes it up that next notch when... That person took the time to write this note. So if you think it needs to get to them sooner than what snail mail can can do, then even doing that, just adding that personal touch, or give them a quick video with everyone's phone. You can do it now, a little selfie video right in your text. It gives you the option to, to hit the camera and either take a picture or take a short video and just go... Hey, just thinking about you. It was a beautiful day sitting out here right in the now, sun. Sorry. I'm sending my husband a picture of all of us. So everybody oh, wave, okay. Everybody wave. We're waving. To- yeah. <laughs> you are um, famous now. See, it's that easy. And then maybe even just bring up a old fond memory. <laughs> hey, such a great day. Yeah. Remember when we uh-huh. went down to the green belt that one time and you fell in the river? Whatever. But again, just have that personal connection. Keep that alive because that was the biggest thing we lost and the biggest thing we need to, in my opinion, achieve again is healthy personal connections. Absolutely. And we don't want to wait till things open up. We want to do it now. And that's what I tell people in the community is don't wait for things to go back. Do it within the context of what we have, because we have that need for each other. And I think it's a wonderful way if uh, as we started the conversation and thinking about domestic abuse. And um, now it's on all of us to be having those conversations, to be reaching out, to gain awareness, um, to make those connections and if we're noticing um then figuring out ways that we can be supportive to that other individual but definitely um going out there and connecting that's has to be our priority yeah i agree and we have as always here in the description you've got uh the wca hotline you've got the national hotline and other links for you to be able to check out for information and tips as well Well, ladies, thank you so much once again for being on. Thank you, Corey. Thank you. And thank you for listening to What Compassion Accomplishes. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Compassion Accomplishes. Again, if you or someone you know has experienced domestic abuse, dating, or sexual violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799-7233 or the WCA's 24-hour hotline 208-343-7025.